Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, Season 3. This podcast is for and about people getting ready for their first ever pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago in Spain, France, and Portugal. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Today's episode is about walking through grief. You're going to meet Jamie, a paralegal who works for a tech company and is based in Southern California. Hi, this is Nancy, and today we are going to hear how Jamie decided to walk the Camino after losing her father just a few weeks ago. Her turnaround timeline is pretty quick, just three months from idea to taking the first steps on the trail. Jamie is a self-proclaimed, not a hiker or walker, and that and how much time she has is dictating how long she will spend walking the Camino. As part of our conversation, I am going to be giving you some more tips on booking accommodations on the trail and also share a bit more about staying in albergues, specifically the difference between an albergue and a pension. At the end of this episode, Jamie shares how she ended up as a guest on this podcast. If you think you would like to be a guest and to share your story, you can let me know by clicking through the link in the show notes. I am currently collecting pilgrim names for season four, which will start in late January. So that means I am looking for people walking in March or later in 2024, and even in 2025, on any route. Do you have a unique story to tell? Please let me know. Before we meet Jamie and get to all that, I want to say a quick thank you to all my listeners who joined my email list recently, and to those who attended the two webinars I hosted this past weekend. That was September 15th and 16th. We talked about how long will it take you to walk the Camino. Right before I started the first of the two webinars, I received an email from two of my listeners who are using my Camino Frances Getting Started audio guide on the Camino right now. And they said, this is one of the most talked about questions on the trail, even among pilgrims who are already well into their pilgrimages. I am so glad I got the chance to discuss this topic with those who came to the webinar so they could have some answers before they go. If you are interested in free webinars about the Camino, be sure to get on my email list. And please do it soon because I am putting together a survey for my email list on when are their best days and times to attend future webinars. And I want to be sure to get your vote in. To join the email list, simply go to my website and scroll down until you find the sign-up form on the homepage. When you sign up, you also get my top 10 Camino tips that don't usually show up on the top 10 lists. And my website is thecaminoexperience.com. Another reason to get on my email list is that in early October, 
I am going to be announcing my new Camino mentoring or coaching offer. I'm currently working one-on-one with three pilgrims to help them get ready for their upcoming pilgrimages, and I will be opening up time slots for additional pilgrims next month. Now, to give you another glimpse into the future, I wanted to let you know that I will be bringing back the info-only episode format soon. Those are the ones where I pick a topic and focus just on that, rather than on sharing the story of another future pilgrim. I had to take a break from those types of episodes so I could dedicate my time to designing and creating the Camino Frances Getting Started audio guide and my new DIY Plus Camino Planning Program that I just launched this past weekend. Those programs are both done and available for you, and I have also opened registration for all of my 2024 Getting Started groups that start together in May and September in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port. So now that those three things are out there in the world, I can spend some time writing those information-packed episodes. I will still have a mix of those and the interview format, but since some listeners let me know they really liked the info-only format, I wanted to let you know they will be back soon. Last thing before we meet Jamie, I did have some technical glitches when recording this conversation, so please bear with me when the recording jumps around or cuts out. It's just a few times, but I wasn't able to fix it in the editing process. Okay, let's say hello to Jamie. I am here today with Jamie from Southern California, who I was just excited to learn I am in the same time zone with, and so that makes scheduling these Zoom calls nice and easy. Let's say hello to Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How are you today? Hi, Nancy. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I was so excited when you reached out and and let me know that you're going soon to walk the Camino and also that we have something in common that, you know, you wouldn't really cheer to have this in common, but we have both lost our fathers in the last months. For me, a little over a year and you very recently, and you shared with me that's a motivation for walking the Camino. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that a little bit with you and finding out what all that's about. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So let's start where I always like to start, which is putting the pin in the map. And if you would share with us the route that you're walking, where you're starting, and how much time you'll be out there on the Camino. Yeah, I'm going to be walking the Camino Frances, and I'm going to be going with one of my longtime best friends who lives across the country from me. And we will be starting in Ponferrada. Mm. And we will be on the trail for 12 days, 13 days, Okay, ending in Santiago. Oh, great. Okay. Now I'm curious though, what made you choose to start in Ponferrada? Actually, one of your podcast episodes about the uh, popular places to start the Camino, Ponferrada was on that list. I listened to that episode a few times actually, because I knew that as someone who doesn't hike or walk long distances often, that maybe jumping in for the full route wasn't a smart option for me physically. But also I just knew that I'd be on some time constraints. So I started exploring like what 
would be good uh, for what I'm looking for. And, but I also didn't want to just do the last 100 uh, kilometers. So, um, and I didn't want to start at the top of a mountain with Osobrero. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Ponferrada seemed like a great starting point. You're over a hundred miles, over 200 kilometers, and you can start by touring the Templars castle. Definitely. That, that castle is so beautiful. My, my favorite actually is the exterior. I've been inside, but I just love to look at the exterior and especially if there's a full moon. Mm. Yeah. Just beautiful at nighttime. Are you spending the night in Ponferrada? Yes. We'll be spending one night in Ponferrada and one night in Leon first. Great. So we're giving ourselves two nights to adjust from jet lag and just get any last minute supplies. Great. And that also goes with my, my number one tip, which is don't rush start to really take your time and land and arrive and be in Spain. That's mm. exciting. So have you done any planning for Leon to think about what you might want to see or do while you're there? Or are you just picturing yourself in the bed on the bunk? resting and catching up from jet lag. I know that we are likely going to be getting things like hiking poles there and any last minute supplies that don't go in carry on overhead carry ons for international airlines and probably getting a good meal or two and really focusing on adjusting to the time zone. But knowing my friend who I'm going with, she was an art history major through college. Um, she'll probably come up with something really awesome for us to see and do. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the cathedral in Leon mm. will probably catch her eye then. It's mm -hmm. just, it's the stained glass work in the Leon Cathedral is exquisite. Absolutely worth going inside. Awesome. That's yeah. a great recommendation. Yeah. And then there are a couple of cafes right on the plaza outside of the cathedral where you can grab a table. The service is nothing to get excited about, but it, you're there for the view. So to sit and just be with the cathedral and all of its grandeur, and then to watch the local people of Leon just bustling about, it's just really beautiful. It's a beautiful city. Oh, that's a really great recommendation. So thank you. We'll, we'll have to check that out. And that Templar Castle, if you want to go inside, you just have to be sure you're not there on a Monday because it's closed. Yes, we actually, uh, thanks to, I think it was your podcast that said that we arranged, like, we, we took that into consideration for when we would be booking our trip, just so that we weren't <laughs> in there on a Monday. Perfect. You know, that's how I plan my travel. When I look at the places that are really important to me to see or things to experience, I do that little extra bit of research ahead of time to find out if they'll be open. Because mm -hmm. if it is actually a once in a lifetime trip, like it is for so many people, well, you don't want to miss the things that are important to you. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And a lot of people think, well, no, no, just go, just go show up and, and, and walk. And that's a wonderful approach as well to go on a pilgrimage without any advanced planning but I've discovered that there's plenty of that still. Even if you plan those highlights, those surprises are still going to be there. Oh, I, I like to hear that because I feel like generally with travel, 
that's how I like to plan things is you get some highlights, some must-sees, and then you be spontaneous with different adventures um, that come along your path. And especially with the Camino, the one number one unknown factor is who you're going to meet. Mm. You don't know. You yeah. don't know. So there'll be 15,000 people on the trail at the time you're there, maybe 10, 15, I'm, I'm guessing 10 to 15,000, but there's only going to be about 100 on the same stage as you, you know? So this teeny tiny percentage of the people, who are the ones you get to meet and who gets to meet you? Wow. I hadn't even thought about this. I have not spent much time thinking about that, but yeah, you're exactly right. And that's so hard to imagine, like <laughs> 10,000 plus people on the same trail at the same time in various stages. Wow. Okay. And I should say, I probably made that number up. <laughs> and the reason I I clarify that is because when I started walking back in 2005, somebody told me that there would be four to 5,000 pilgrims at a time on the trail. Mm. But the numbers have probably tripled. The number of pilgrims completing the pilgrimage and receiving their Compostela have doubled or tripled since I first started walking. So I, that's why I picked 10,000. Yeah. Wow. And how have you noticed like a you know, you've been doing it for so long and um, like ha has, has the increased popularity of these pilgrimages impacted or changed how you experience the Camino? Oh, that's a great question. I would say yes and no. So mm -hmm. the important thing to know about a serial pilgrim or someone who goes back again and again is that we don't have the eyes of a first-time pilgrim anymore. And so when I go to the Camino now, I'm looking for something different. I already know what's ahead and what's going to happen. And so my perspective is more of who am I going to meet and who am I going to meet within myself? Because every walk for me is an inner journey of discovery and hopefully growth and becoming more of who I'll say who God wants me to be or who God has for me to be. And so the Camino for me now is more the venue. It's where I go to explore that. And yes, it has changed considerably. To give you a, a marker, a quantifiable marker, when I walked the first time in 2005, there were about 110 albergues, hostels for pilgrims along the Camino Frances. And now there are more than 450. So oh my gosh, wow. Growth, yeah, tremendous growth. And I no longer stay in the albergues because after I started leading groups in 2013, I was then able to honor the fact that I can't sleep in shared dorm rooms. And mm -hmm. it's just a fact. It's, it, and I, it doesn't make me a bad person. It means I'm going to honor what my needs are and my needs are for privacy when I sleep. So I haven't stayed in shared dorm rooms for a while, probably about six or eight years. And so I can't actually compare that experience to what it, I can't compare what it is now to what it was then. But from what I've heard, it depends entirely on who you are in with. So you might be at Refuge Orison and just coming out of Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port with a group of completely new first-time pilgrims. And that experience will be one experience. And then way down the road in, say, Burgos, 
a big city on the Camino, after people have been two weeks on the trail, you might have a completely different experience because they're more savvy now and they're more familiar with how albergues work. And then you get to Sadia, which is the final 100 kilometers where the largest, statistically, the largest number of pilgrims start the Frances. And then you have a whole new group of pilgrims who have no idea what the etiquette is in the albergue. They don't quite know how things function. And then you sort of have to start all over again. So it just depends. It just completely depends. Yeah. Wow. That, um, thanks for sharing all of that. And, you know, that got me thinking about what experience I'm going to have as far as lodging. And because what's motivating me to go and my friend, my super supportive friend to join me, uh, you know, is processing the the loss of my father and grief and sleeping in a dorm with 50 plus people or however big they can get is not, it's not very private. Correct. And it lends itself to a very different experience than getting private rooms, right? So what, what approach I'm taking to honor what I need right now and also acknowledging that I need good sleep. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, is we're going to do mostly private rooms at um, albergues or, or is it pensiones? Pensiones? Well, it depends. So that's a different class of accommodation. Ah. So yeah, so the albergue, okay. albergue is the Spanish word for hostel, which is mm-hmm. hostels. I don't know if you know the history of them, but the hostels were started maybe 120 years ago by a teacher in Germany who said, you know what, we need to get young people out traveling. So let's make it affordable. And so we had the idea to start this type of accommodation that had dorm rooms, shared dorm rooms where you pay for a bed and then you have common areas like a kitchen and a game room and a living room so people can interact rather than pay five times that for a hotel room where you go sit on the bed with the remote control watching TV. And so that that is, no, granted, that was modeled after other things that have come before, of course, but hostels as we know them in the modern age are only 120-something years. And hostels in Spain, all over Spain, are called albergues. They're not called albergues only on the Camino. They're not just for pilgrims. Albergue mm-hmm. is a hostel. So if you're staying in an albergue in a private room, there will be a dorm room down the hall or maybe a couple dorm rooms down the hall. But the benefit of the albergue is that you have a kitchen potent, that you potentially can use, but a little bit of a warning, they don't always, they're not always fully equipped. So you have to check if there's silverware, plates, bowls, cups, cooking gear, before you go grocery shopping to make sure that there's stuff there for you to cook with and serve with. Then they also often will have a common room where you can hang out or an outdoor area where maybe there's a big patio or a big patch of grass where you can plop down on and take off your shoes and rub your feet on the grass. A pension, on the other hand, is more likely to be feel a little bit like someone's home where they had extra rooms and so they let them out. And there might be a restroom in the room, but it might also be down the hall. And there probably won't be a kitchen that you can use. And there may or may not be a common room to sit in. 
so with all that, we're probably going to be leaning more towards the private accommodations, yeah. um, either at albergues or pensions and uh, maybe a hotel here and there too. Yeah, great. And there's a class of accommodation that I really like, which is an hostal, H-O-S-T-A-L. And an hostal is a small family-run hotel that usually has private bathroom. So pensions are likely to have the shared bathrooms down the hall, whereas an hostal, you will have a private bathroom. So the difference between an hostal and an hotel, and these are generalizations, a hotel will have 24-hour reception and possibly someone who speaks at least a little bit of English. In an hostal, it's very likely that the reception will close at 9 or 10 at night and you would have to make arrangements if you're coming later, which pilgrims aren't. And the reception person probably won't speak English. Maybe a couple words of travel English, like room and credit card. <laughs> yeah. The keywords. The keywords, yes. What do you want and how will you pay? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to look into those. We are going to have a few nights at, at shared dorm rooms in albergues okay to get that taste and also just because honestly like availability is pretty sparse in certain towns ah like we found that in Osobrero and the small town is it Herreras right before Osobrero yes yes it's Las Herrerias Las Herrerias yeah. uh, and Osobrero, they have very few uh, options yes. um, available still. And we were, you know, calling and, and emailing to book uh, over a month out. So that's another really interesting thing with all this is, you know, a lot of people talk about how the Camino it can be a very organic experience, you know, how you determine how far you're going to walk that morning based on how you feel. But I feel like maybe with the, the growth in popularity, maybe the travel after the pandemic, there's less room for that, especially as you get closer to Santiago, I feel. Mm. Maybe maybe I'm wrong with the last hundred kilometers because that's a much more popular, uh, they probably have a lot more accommodation options there. They do. But it, it was, it, we've had to do a lot of planning and mm. we're going to remain flexible with things and, and, and figure out, fi figure, figure some things out on the fly, but we've had to do some major planning because I'm sorry, after walking up a mountain, you know, I, I'm <laughs> not going to want to be like, oh, let me push on five more <laughs> kilometers. Like I would love to have a bed. <laughs> So a few things to say about that. One is Osobrero is tiny. It's really tiny and there just aren't a lot of options. Herrerias is trying to grow, I think. There are a couple of new places there in the past few years, I would say. And it's Herrerias is this beautiful valley. It's I love that you're staying there because it's just, it's so beautiful to be in the valley and then you go up the mountain so the thing is, if you're starting the third week in September from Ponferrada, you are joining a 
fastly moving river of pilgrims who started on September 1st in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. So this, this conversation about do I have to book and why is it so busy and am I going to find some place has everything to do with timing. And we can predict some of it. So we can predict that the first week in September being historically the busiest time of the year coming out of Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, we can watch those seven days worth of pilgrims, give or take seven to 10 days, moving west along the Camino. So you can almost predict where that big wave is going to be if you calculate out 20 to 25 kilometers a day. You can see them moving. Woo, here they come. So if you pick up the river downstream where that wave is, then you're going to find yourself in with a lot of people and accommodations harder to find. Now, the other thing is, and this is, this is something that I love because many people do want to have that organic experience of, you know what, I'm just going to walk. I'm going to find a place. It'll be fine. Those waves come and go. So they, they're up and down, up and down. And between the waves, people find beds with no problem. They just have absolutely no problem finding a place to stay. So then the other thing is, and this is, you're going to see there's no exact science here because there's so many factors. The other thing is those people who are panicking and not you, because I don't hear panic from you, you're planning and thinking ahead. But when you're on the trail, you'll hear stories of everything sold out. Oh my gosh. Well, many of the people who think that are trying to book on booking.com or the booking app. And yeah, everything on there is sold out, but those places represent only a percentage of all of the possible places to stay. You said you're emailing and calling. That's perfect because you'll be catching places that aren't on booking or only have a percentage of their inventory on booking. Now, here's the final tip. All those people who booked in advance, they get there and then they discover they can't follow the schedule that they made, so they cancel. So two days before, or if you look at the cancellation policy for a property where you want to stay, if their cancellation policy is two days before, three days before, that's when you want to check because that's when everybody canceled who thought they were going to be there on that date. Now something comes available. So it is nowhere near an exact science. It is truly a roll with it and see what you get. Wow, that's really good advice. I hadn't even thought about that. And yeah, the, the cancellation is really flexible on everywhere that we've booked. And there's a reason for that, it sounds like. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You just keep checking back and see what opens up. And then since you're going to plan to stay in some albergues, I'm assuming you'll be prepared with a sleep sack or sleeping bag or something. So you always have a backup. You always can stay in, al in an albergue if you need to. Yes, definitely coming prepared with the sleep sack and doing all we can to to just be ready for the, that that experience for sure. Yeah, good. So I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about your motivations for walking. You shared that your dad passed away and that that has prompted you to walk the Camino. Would you be willing to share a bit more about all of that and how this came to be? Yes, definitely. Thanks for asking. So yeah, you know, my dad had been battling cancer for six years or so. Um, so this was not um, unexpected, just very unwanted. 
Mm. And a couple months before he passed, I started doing research on grief online and I found a blog about grief travel. And I had no idea this was a thing. You know, you typically travel to me is go and eat the food and go to the museums and explore. (laughs) But grief travel is a very specific kind of travel where you go with intention and to process. And that can look like many things. And one of the examples in this blog I found was the Camino. And so that was the first time I had ever heard of Camino de Santiago and this collection of pilgrimages. And, you know, something about it stuck with me. It just, I'm not, oh, I'm not a big walker. <laughs> like I'll, I'll go walk, you know, three, four miles here and there sometimes to stay active, but I am a big traveler and uh, I think I'm in relatively good shape. So I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> like, <laughs> haven't been training and stuff. And I'm not quite sure I can put my finger on what exactly is calling me to it. But I feel a very strong pull to do this. And to do this, you know, my dad just passed a few weeks ago, and I feel strongly to walk this as soon as I can. So not a lot of lead time, you know, from discovery to, to planning and hitting the Camino, we're talking like three, three and a half months. But so it's a very different journey than a lot of people who I think spend months or years even planning and pondering this. Um, I'm definitely in hyperdrive and it's because something's pulling me and, and, and I have a bit of flexibility um, with like my bereavement leave to, to, to really go and use some of that to help reset and process. How fantastic that you have that time. Yeah. Very grateful. Very grateful. Yeah. So the idea of grief travel is just, um, yeah, I, over the years, I've heard so many stories of people who are walking after a tremendous loss and people who have lost parents, people who have lost children, family, friends, everything. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to hear from you when you come back, what the walking did for you or what was it about the Camino that facilitated processing that grief? Yeah, definitely. And, and I would love to follow up with you afterwards. Um, I had told my dad about this before he passed, you know, I didn't tell him I was doing this to process his loss, but I said, you know, Hey dad, I'm planning my next trip. Let me tell you about it. And, you know, showed him a bit of the guidebook that I got from, uh, I got John Briarley's Camino Frances guidebook and um, just told him a little bit of the history at a very high level. Uh, and I told him how one of my best friends was going to join me and he knows this friend and, you know, he thought, wow, she's a great friend. This is going to be a great experience. And he's right. And he's going to be with me on the trail. And I, I just bet he's proud of you. Yeah, I, I know it. And I know it. <laughs> well, and you use the words, dad, let me show you my next trip. So that tells me that you're a bit of a traveler already. Yes, I caught the travel bug 
in 2018 when I went to Italy with this same friend who's going to go on the Camino with me. (laughs) And I've become kind of obsessed with travel. I feel like it opened my mind to just like, there's this whole world out there, this whole world of history and culture and food. Yes. So my love of travel, I think, is pulling me towards this. It's not necessarily my love for walking or hike or hiking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Was your dad a traveler? No, not really. He he served in the Navy for eight years and traveled via the Navy. But honestly, growing up, my family wasn't much uh, into travel you know, maybe some domestic travel in the U.S., little road trips here and there, but that's really it. Um, I I found this passion on my own. And I think one of the things that is appealing as far as grief travel, you are taking yourself out of your home. You're putting yourself in a whole new environment with a whole new culture, all new people. And it can help you process away from your normal environment, but also just remind you that there that life does go on there is beauty in the world still there are new connections and experiences to be made and I think that will bring me some life thank you for sharing that part of it so I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself in Pomfarada and you've seen the castle And you've had a coffee at my favorite place across the street called Cafe Liebana with the world-class baristas. (laughs) I will have to write that down, Cafe Liebana. (laughs) And you're, you're in the pretty plaza thinking, okay, I've got to start this journey. I'm starting this journey. I'm walking toward Santiago de Compostela, me and dad. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I am... I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling that I hope my body can make it through this. That my feet, (laughs) that my feet will make it through this. And that, you know, I feel like I'm going to be full of energy. And that's going to be adrenaline and nerves and excitement and yeah, a lot, a lot of wonder of what lies ahead and, and worry. So a lot of a mix of emotions, really a stew of emotions. (laughs) What would you like to say to your friend before you take your first steps? Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. And And, you know, that's such a good question. You know, I asked her a a little bit of backstory. I asked her to join me. Once I found out about the Camino, I really latched onto it and started watching videos, listening to podcasts. I found your podcast and was trying to soak in as much information as I could just being called to it. And I messaged her one morning and this was maybe a month ago now. And I said, Hey, 
you know, she had a, another trip planned to Colombia in September. And I said, Hey, you know, um, I just want you to know, like, I, I've been watching videos and thinking about this. And I just had a vision of completing the Camino with you. And we were like in tears and happy and crying. And it was a really powerful experience. And so I just want you to know that if you're ever willing or available to, to walk this, you know, either this fall or next spring, like I'd love to do that with you. And her response, which floored me, was to immediately send me a message and say, you know what, I'm going to postpone my trip. And being there with you is a priority. And this has been on my list anyway. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, starting off in Panfredata with her, I'd probably give her a hug <laughs> and I'd say, here we go. Let's do this. Let's see what happens next. Yeah. How wonderful. Oh, it's great. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. You said that you are, I mean, six weeks before departure, you say we're doing this thing. Have you run into any challenges or frustrations in getting ready in the planning and preparing process? That is such a good question. So I'm a typical overthinker. And there's a lot of that going on with this <laughs> prep. I tell you what, in a lot of your episodes, you talk about superpowers that people have. Yeah. And I think my friend and I both have superpowers of being very like detail oriented, organized and driven. So we've been able to harness that towards the planning. But the frustrations that I've been coming in with are like, oh my gosh, you don't walk long distances, Jamie. What shoes are you going to wear? How are you going to prepare for this? Like my feet are blister prone. Ah. My little toes like to go under the other toes. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I've been really trying to, I, I, I went and, and did research on different shoes, but really I went to REI and, and yeah. that ultimately made the decisions with their help on shoes and have been watching videos on taping up your feet and preparing for preventing blisters. I listened to your podcast episode on footwear and foot care. Good. Season one, episode four, I think. Yeah. I think that's been kind of a, a hard part is just really, for me, decision fatigue. Oh, yeah. There's so much information out there. Everyone has the right answers for them. And, you know, sifting through all that information to find what's right for you, having not ever done anything like this, I feel like I'm trying to accept that there's only so much prep you can do that you're going to learn, your body is going to tell you what you need and you're going to learn what you need when you're actually there. That's it right there. <laughs> That's it. You just, you got the Camino right there. <laughs> done do I even need to go done. No. <laughs> no no I you know what I'll send you one of my compostelas you're done I'm done <laughs> oh that's funny you know and the thing is 
when I talk about superpowers, I talk about them because I want people to do what they enjoy and what they're good at. If you're detail-oriented and organized and you thrive using those skills, there's no reason why you shouldn't use those skills. If you are not that person, there's no reason why you should force yourself to be that person and then follow what is the path of least resistance for you. And I know people will go, no, no, the Camino is about growth. Yeah, the Camino is going to be about growth no matter what you do. Whether you use your superpower or not, the Camino will be about growth because every single person who wants to walk the Camino has to actually walk the Camino. That's where the growth takes place is in the walking and other places along the way, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and I, I, I think that was really well said and nice and reassuring. So I yeah. super appreciate that. And I think it is because of leaning into our superpowers that my friend and I are able, like, I am not stressed about the planning and organization. Yeah. Like that comes naturally to myself and my friend. So I'm more stressed about the little decisions to support. Can I physically do this? Cause like you said, the work, the work is the walking. Yeah. And that's also where all the processing is going to happen. So yeah. Those are that I'm nervous about that stuff. <laughs> well, and and that's actually appropriate. I mean, mm. pe people get upset that they're nervous. Yeah, that's actually really appropriate. This is no small thing you're taking on. This is a big deal. And the thing is, your feet will hurt. They will. Your body yeah. will hurt. You will become tired. You will become exhausted. It's part of what happens when you walk the Camino. But I think you hit on it, and that is prevention of blisters. And if you can prevent blisters, even if your feet hurt, you won't have to stop. You won't have to skip a day. You won't have your plans derailed. Yeah, so prevention. Yeah. Prevention is the key to blister on blisters, for sure. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> well, and that, that's all you can do. And you've probably heard this a 100 different times. The key is when you start to feel something rub, pull over, take off your boots, air out your feet and tape them up. And you can even preemptively tape. I have that same little baby toe thing that goes on. And, you know, it's just the way my feet are designed. Can't fight that. And so I tape, I use paper first aid tape and I tape my baby toe and I tape the toe next to it so they don't get into a fight. Yeah, that's going to be my plan is preemptively taping every day. Yeah. And, you know, that's why in one of my first episodes, I asked, asked the question at the very, very beginning when I first started this is, can you reach your feet? <laughs> I remember that question. Can you do it when you're sitting on a, on a chair? Can you do it on a couch that's soft and squishy? Can you do it on a rock, on a log and on the ground? Because there will be times on the Camino when you just have to get to your feet wherever you are. So make sure you can reach them. Start stretching out those hips. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I can reach them. And I remember that part in the, in the episode. And I was like, okay, one, one down. We're good. <laughs> one down. Let's see. Here's the, here's the short quiz. Can you walk the Camino? If you can reach your feet, the answer is yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Okay, I've got this. Why am I nervous? <laughs> I know, right? But you know what? It's it's 
appropriate. You know, people go, oh, no, that's normal. Okay, forget normal. It's actually appropriate to be nervous. This is not a, a small thing. This isn't grocery shopping. This isn't making mm -hmm. your bed. This is walk dozens of kilometers every day for a long, you know, a number of days. This is a big deal. Yeah, who, no one has ever done this before, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, very much. And, and day after day, doing it in a row, you know, yeah. being able to get up with the sore muscles and the pain and stiffness and yeah. being like, okay, let's do it again. And just trusting that your body will warm up and that yeah. you're putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah. And take it slow, stretch, change position. That's the other thing that people often miss. Stretching is great, but changing position is also really important because walking is one upright position and the same joint movement repetitively. So you just need to stop. You need to squat or sit and cross your legs or sit on the ground cross-legged, stretch out your hips, put your knees into a different position, do circles with your ankles. Yeah, just something different because that's a lot of repetition. That's really great advice. I had not thought of that. I love doing squats and leaning forward to stretch out my lower back. That that after walking, especially with a backpack, just like, oh, feels so good. Yeah, change position. That's a really good point. I'm going to be the one on the side of the road just like <laughs> doing yoga. <laughs> You know, yoga is great for, for walking. Yoga is great because yoga pays attention to those little details within the body that need to be moved and stretched and attended to, for sure. Mm. Cool. Any other frustrations or challenges? Not with the planning. Well, no, actually, yes. <laughs> Sorry. With one other thing that trying to figure out. So Ponferrada to... Santiago de Compostela, yeah, de Compostela, right? Compostela, something like that. Close enough. The halfway point is Saria or around Saria. Is it, am I pronouncing that right? If you could roll the R's, they'd be happier, but Saria. Saria. So Panferrada to Santiago, uh, the half point is around Saria. And we're trying to figure out a rest day that's around the halfway point. And some friends uh, of my friend who have walked the Camino said that Sadia might not be the best city to have a rest day in, that there are a lot of other more vibrant or cultural options along the way, but we're struggling to figure that out. And if we should even plan a rest day or just keep that in our pocket for when we need it. Do you have advice on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and Sadia is interesting and exciting if you're starting there and it's your first town or city in Spain and on the Camino. In my opinion, it's not that special as a town. It's more serviceable is how I describe Sadia. That doesn't mean it doesn't have pretty streets. The, the Calle Mayor that the Camino goes along is very sweet. And, you know, it's narrow pedestrian street with all the old buildings. You walk past a beautiful church with this gorgeous mural. There is good food in Sadia, but it's not someplace that I would plan a rest day necessarily. What I'd be more inclined to do is to plan two back-to-back -back shorter days. Instead of a full day off or what we call a zero kilometer day, 
do two shorter days. So one thing you could do if you're doing two back-to-back shorter days is stay four kilometers, three and a half kilometers after Sadia at a place called Barbadello. And the reason I mention that is because there's a place in Barbadello that looks always looks so incredibly inviting and they have private rooms. I think they have dorm rooms as well. And I've even heard a rumor of a swimming pool, which is really fun to stick your feet in. And it's not in town. It's a, just a little village and this big property where you can stay and relax. So it's a place, it's not so much someplace filled with culture and sights, but it's a place where you can relax. So if you do a short day in Saria, stay in Saria, eat well in Saria, because there's a place, let's see, where would I go? There's an Italian restaurant. It's the Ristorante Matias. And so, you know, have a good Italian meal there and make that a nice short day going into Saria. Enjoy the morning in Saria. Take care of any business if you need to go to any shops or supermarket or do your laundry. Just take it easy. Nice restful day and stay and have the whole afternoon sort of feels like you're in the country. Just relaxing. Oh, I love that suggestion. I say that also because, and again, this is my opinion that I, I can't really think of any of the towns from Sadia to Santiago that for me warrant a full-on rest day that have enough intrigue and interest. Now, the only other place that I can think of, and I know a lot of people will back me up on this, is Samos. Samos is between Tria Castella and Sadia. And what's great about Samos is it's got a beautiful monastery and a little river, small river running through the village. And it's very peaceful. So you could visit the monastery. There is a tour in Spanish. There's a gift shop to visit and they do vespers in the evening. So again, that could be a short day strategy where you, you walk a short day from Tria Castella to Samos, nice and easy, relax, and then have a relatively short day to Saria the next day and spend the afternoons in these two places. So I'd be more inclined to do that than to have a zero kilometer day on your stretch. Oh, that's really good advice. And do you in general have an opinion on zero kilometer days or is this just specific to the situation that I'm asking about? Well, I have mixed thoughts on how to do rest days. I love Spanish cities. So someone starting in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port I'd say stop in Pamplona, stop in Logroño, stop in Burgos and León and you know take your rest days and do zero kilometer days when your body needs it. And that's probably the most important thing for the longer distances is when your body needs it. Now, there's a downside with zero kilometer days that if you're in with a group or what people call a Camino family and they're not taking a rest day, you lose them because they go on ahead. And for some people, that would be very difficult. So to my mind, this is a good argument for walking with a friend, walking with a best friend, walking in a couple, or with a small group who you are going to stay together because you're planning your stages together. And it's, it's one of those things I, I really truly have mixed thoughts on because I'm always a solo walker unless I'm leading a group. And when I'm a solo walker, I never get in with a Camino family because I walk shorter stages and I tend to take rest days. 
And so for me, the Camino can be very lonely if I don't work hard at it, if I don't work at making connections. And so I've, the past probably seven years have really firmly been in the camp. Go with a group if you can. Go with a best friend. Go with a partner. Go with somebody who you really will enjoy sharing the experience with and will have with you to keep the same stages and keep your family. You know, bring BYO family, you know, bring Mm -hmm. your own family. That's what I've been leaning to the past, you know, seven or so years. Yeah, so zero kilometer days are great if there is something that you want to see and do or if your body is telling you stop. Yeah. Okay. That's great advice. Otherwise, I really like the short days. Short can be whatever short is for you. So if you're normally walking eight to 25 kilometers, a short day could be 10 kilometers. That's still, a you know, two and a half, three hours of walking. That's true. Yeah. I love that suggestion. Thank you so much. That's something we are struggling with. So. so are there any other questions I can answer for you? No, I think they've been coming up throughout our conversation or pretty organically. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's go to the end of the trail now and let's imagine you and your friend in Santiago de Compostela. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Uh, So many emotions. I feel a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of gratitude. And yeah, just, you know, proving to myself that, that I could do something like that, being able to share that journey with one of my best friends and probably, you know, celebrating with my dad too. Yeah. I don't know what our connection is to people once, once they go, I think it probably varies from person to person, but I, I'm going to just imagine him cheering you on and being proud of you and celebrating with you in Santiago. Yeah, definitely. And we'll have had many talks on the way there. So (laughs) great. Yeah. You know, he's probably not done sharing his wisdom with you. Yeah. Dads are good for that. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so. Well, I'm so glad we got a chance to, to talk and I love hearing your story and yeah, just bearing witness to what you're doing. I think It's significant. We need to deal with our grief. We need to honor our grief. And I think acknowledge that we grieve because we love someone deeply. And that is a good thing. I think that's very well said. And I just also want to say, Nancy, like, thank you for for doing what you do. I found your podcast pretty easily and organically in my searches. And I've probably listened to over 20 uh, episodes so far. And I have found the advice that you give to be extremely helpful, very compassionate and like delivered with care. And you can tell that this is something that you have a passion and a drive for. And I think uh, it's just, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have found you. And at the end of every episode, you say, you know, please reach out if you have a story. And after hearing that 20 times, I was like, (laughs) okay, I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope this episode will encourage other people 
to reach out, who have a story to share. Because what I hear from my listeners is that by hearing all the different stories, they feel that theirs is valid and worth walking for. And they feel that they can do it. If these people do it with those stories, I can do it with my story. And I think that's so important. So I'm so grateful to you for being on the podcast and sharing your story. And and thank you for your kind words about the podcast. It's It's so satisfying to me to know that it's being received the way I intend it to be sent. So thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, let's wrap it up and I will look forward to hearing how it goes. Sounds great. Thank you. Jamie, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. 